Welcome to Soaring the Sky Glider Pilots Podcast. My name is Chuck. I will be your host, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and flying with the Cumberland Soaring Group. This is episode 45. This episode is brought to you by Arizona Soaring Incorporated, the nation's largest provider of professional glider training. Since 1969, they provided training from initial private through CFI glider and entry level through advanced aerobatics. Open year-round, seven days a week. More information is available at azsoaring.com. On today's podcast, we talk with Scott Manley, his journey started in aviation in 1973, even before he owned his first car. Scott didn't discover gliders until 1992 while vacationing in Florida when he spotted a sign at a local airport that said, Glider Rise. Fast forward to today, he is the glider pilot who holds his CFIG as well as his commercial rating in gliders and as well as powered. Also in powered, he holds his private single-engine land, NC, as well as his instrument rating. Scott is also a qualified tow pilot. A lot of his focus, especially recently, is on promoting the use of flight simulation to improve glider flight training and pilot proficiency. Join us now to hear Scott's story and his adventures soaring the sky. Scott Manley, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on Soaring the Sky. How are you today? Thank you, Chuck. I'm as well as I could be. Great. And I know right now you are a little in a place a little warmer than I am. Uh, you down in South Florida, right? Southwest Florida. Yep. It was 80 degrees here today. Sun was shining again. It's just same old thing every day. Oh, yeah. Nice. 32 here today, so I'll take that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going get, to get right into this. Like I ask everyone else, how did your aviation journey begin, Scott? When I, uh, shortly after I started going to college, a, a buddy of mine who was in high school uh, had, had not gone off to college. He got a job and, and uh, had, had taken flying lessons, got his pilot's license. And um, pretty much everybody who gets their pilot license then starts looking for people to go for rides to help them pay for their rides. So uh, he took me up in an airplane, Cessna 172. And I, I knew right away that was something I wanted to do as soon as I had the time and money to do it. So the the, the hook was kind of set there. That was That was like 1970 or so. As soon as I, my first job uh, was teaching high school in the city of Milwaukee, and as soon as I started making money, even before I had a car, uh, I started taking flying lessons at, at the airports around Milwaukee. That was in 1973, 74, got my private pilot certificate, uh, airplane single engine land. Um, two years later, got an instrument airplane uh, rating, instrument rating, because uh, you can't really go anywhere in an airplane uh, travel-wise, unless you've got an instrument rating. Um, 1978, we moved to Madison, and I bought into a Mooney partnership, and I was in that for about 20 years. Flew a couple different kind of Moonies. 1992, I was on vacation in Florida, and I drove by an airport, uh, and there was a sign out front that said glider rides. I thought, well, that would be fun. So I, I took my first ride in a glider, and, and then immediately decided that someday I, I needed to do this as well. Uh, it turned out that it was actually 20 years after that that I was uh, I was at Oshkosh going through the pavilion booths and um, happened to stop at the a booth um, by the Soaring Society of America and I asked them where I could uh, where if there's any place in Wisconsin I could learn to fly gliders and he uh, guy by the name of Bert Compton who is now one of the um, guys in the in the Soaring Safety Foundation gave me a couple of places one was a club one was a commercial operation so I checked them both out ended up flying with the commercial operation. And uh, that same fall, I had my uh, my glider category add-on for a private pilot. 
the next year, um, the airport that I was flying out, it was close to Lake Michigan. And of the 40 flights that I took in my, in my uh, add-on training, uh, only three of them were longer than 20 minutes because uh, the lake effect would, every time the, the ground heated up near that airport, uh, the cold air would come off the lake and shut everything down. And so there was no such thing as thermal flying at that airport. And I thought, well, if I'm ever going to keep doing this, I need a, I'm going to need to get a glider that launches itself. So um, that next summer, I actually got a self-launch uh, endorsement in a Grove 103. The summer after that, I got my commercial certificate in glider because I wanted to be able to work for the glider operation, give rides. 2006, uh, I got my commercial certificate in airplane because I wanted to be able to fly the tow plane and uh, did that and got my glider uh, tow plane endorsement and also became flight instructor glider that same summer. As you'll learn a little later, uh, my, my actual uh, background is that I'm, I was a high school teacher. I, was, I went to college to become a teacher and was actually teaching high school in Milwaukee as a profession. So I like to teach, and um, when I got the glider rating, uh, flight instructing seemed like something I'd want to do. 2009, I uh, got a, a single-engine seaplane rating at Jack Brown's in Florida. That was fun. And uh, 2012, uh, added the last of the launch endorsements um, up in Minnesota at cross-country soaring with a winch launch endorsement at, uh, up there. So that's kind of my, uh, my flying history. Wow, that's, uh, that's a lot of flying. Yeah, well, I've been a, I'm an old guy. I've been been around long been around long enough to do a lot of stuff. So, been very very fortunate. Um, I, I really rate flying as learning to fly is one of the best things I I've ever done with my life. So definitely second that. So I guess I have to ask you, out of all those flights that you had, what was one of your most memorable flights? One that comes to mind is uh, after uh, I had the instrument rating and. Um, my parents were living up near Appleton, Wisconsin. I lived in Madison, Wisconsin. I had gone up to visit them for the weekend, and I was flying back to Madison um, to go back to work the next day. And it was an instrument flight at night. And I took off from Appleton and, and uh, actually climbed above an overcast to discover a full moon up there. So I was on top of the clouds at night with a full moon. And it's just it's just the most amazing – I mean, I, you can still just see it in your head. It's just uh, – just kind of an unforgettable, surreal kind of situation being up there. So what types of soaring do you enjoy most, the ones that you've flown, whether it be ridge, wave, or thermal? Yeah, I don't um, – I'm, I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm kind of a flatlander. Um, and uh, pretty much most of – almost all of my flying uh, has been east of the Mississippi in, in, uh, in flat country. So all of my flying has been thermal. The only exception to that was uh, I took a trip to Hawaii one time and, and managed to go flying at Dillingham Field on Oahu, where they have a, a ridge where the wind blows all the time. In fact, they used to they used to set duration records at Dillingham because the wind just blows up the side of that ridge 24 hours a day. So I got to fly there, but it, it isn't much of a ridge. It's about two miles two miles long, so you go back and forth and back and forth across the ridge until your bladder won't let you anymore, and then you, you come down and land. But uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, most of my flying has just been... Uh, has been thermal flying, but um, I've never I've never done any serious competitive flying. Uh, I, I've not done any serious cross country. I've, uh, you know, my my pleasure has always been just the, the pure joy of flight. So I'll, I have no problem with just going up and hanging around within gliding distance of the airport. I might stay up there, you know, three four hours, and I might fly 150 miles, but I'm I'm never out of glide distance of the airport. That's just that's just my way of having a good time. Yeah, I, you know, I don't get too far from the airport. Of course, my training hasn't advanced 
too far yet as far as doing any cross country or anything like that. But just being in, in the air and flying is, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. Yep, it's always been enough for me. You know, in our initial conversation, of course, leading up to this interview, you mentioned that as much as you enjoy soaring, you'd rather help someone else learn to fly a glider than to fly one yourself. What's what's up with that? Well, so um, I think by avocation, uh, I'm I'm a teacher. Uh, I was a I was an educator. I was a formally trained educator. I was teaching high school. I'd gone to the University of Wisconsin um, to become a teacher, and uh, I just enjoy teaching. And so. Um, when I got the glider rating, um, you know, it was just kind of a natural progression for me to uh, to uh, get into flight instruction. Um, but having come from an educational background, I realized the value of flight simulation. And so I immediately started looking for a flight simulator that I could use uh, to teach people to fly because I simply I just know that that's a better way to to for people to learn and for me to, to teach them what they need to know. And so I, uh, over the years, um, people who, who know me or know of me or have read you know, articles that I've written for Soaring Magazine, I've been advocating for the use of uh, flight simulation in glider flight training um, for about the last 15 years. And I've, I've, uh, I've kind of pioneered um, the, the notion most um, of, of doing um, my flight instruction over the Internet, um, using Skype to do uh, screen sharing and using Condor uh, the Condor flight simulation software uh, as my instructional medium. So uh, that's that's pretty much what I've been doing. And um, I've, I've got, over the last 10 years, I've probably worked with 50 or 60 uh, different individuals um, in various capacities, trying to work them all the way from just um, brushing up on, on a few things to actually taking people through an entire private pilot um, curriculum for Glider. And I've, I've had any number of those folks go off and get their glider rating, some of whom I've never met. Uh, I, would just, I would just prepare them uh, through simulation. That would often take, you know, six months or so uh, to run them through the whole curriculum. But then I would send them off to a, a commercial operation, and, and they'd go get their uh, aircraft-based training there and then get their ratings. Um, and I'm still doing that. Um, I, in fact, um, just as of as of last year, I decided that uh, aircraft-based flight instruction was literally a waste of my time, and uh, I only do uh, simulation-based flight instruction, uh, and almost all of that over the internet. So, uh, I've in the in the last ten years that I've been a flight instructor, um, I have about 400 hours, about a thousand flights, and about 400 hours in actual aircraft. Uh, but I have over 2,000 hours of uh, a flight instruction online, so wow. uh, much much more efficient uh, use of my time and uh, and the students' time, and that's that's uh, that's what I've been doing. You know, I was in Oshkosh uh, for the fiftieth last summer, and earlier when we were talking, I didn't realize it that I had already met you. You were there doing the VR for the Condor, and I was in the tent and. I wanted to check it out because I I have Condor, but I didn't have the VR set up. So we had we were talking and and you're like, yeah, you know who that was? <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, and when, it was when you. We, yeah, when we first connected for this, and I I, I heard you start relating to uh, yeah, we, we had gotten into the conversation about about uh, using VR headsets in Condor. Yeah, when you started to relate that story, I thought, boy, this sounds this sounds really familiar. If, if this guy was at Oshkosh and he was and he was flying VR on Condor Two in a tent, 
uh, I was the only guy at Oshkosh doing that. So yeah, it turned out we had actually met each other before. That was that was a small world kind of thing. Yeah, and when I started talking to you, I was like, this guy sounds really familiar. Why does he sound so familiar? So yeah, that aviation world is a small world. This is pretty wild. And I was talking to you a little bit about the VR, and I said, you know, what was your opinion on the next level taking it to VR? Because you know, a lot of people have been on Condor and use Condor, but it's only been with the screen. And it's just, it's literally, it's a big step up. For me, when I put it on at Oshkosh, I was amazed how real it felt. Like, I felt like I was in the glider because I had said earlier, and I spoke about it on the podcast, that you put me above the runway already in flight. And when I opened my eyes, because you had me close my eyes, when I opened my eyes, I got actually queasy to my stomach. So, as someone teaching this and as an instructor, do you have an explanation for the VR and what it does and how real it is? Well, um, human beings are uh, visual learners. Um, 80% of the sensory input that your brain uses to get you through a day uh, comes in through your eyes. And so um, you're, you're a very sensory, a, a very visual um, animal. And so um, the more realistic that, that visual sensation can be, the, the, more, the less your brain can tell it from reality. So, uh, yeah, the VR headset does a, does a really nice job of just immersing you uh, much more than a monitor can. Um, it, just, it just feels much more real. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing technology. That said, from an educational perspective, at least with my experience so far, there's only a couple things that, that – VR will do for a student certain aspects of training where it's where it's dramatic or it's a dramatic improvement over just using a monitor. Because what I will tell people is because you are a visual learner, even if you're sitting in front of a 15-inch monitor, um, your brain literally disappears into the monitor. It it becomes almost oblivious to things going around it. People, if you're if you were flying in Condor looking at a monitor and your brain was engaged with that flight, someone could walk by right past you. And you would not notice them because your that isn't your your brain has gone someplace else. I think one of the powers of VR is that it literally eliminates all of that as well. When you when you put that VR headset on, you didn't know you were in a tent in Oshkosh anymore. There was no, no sensation. There was no sensation of that whatsoever. In fact, one of the maybe you experienced this. One of the um, strange sensations that I got, and that I would warn people about, or or just um, not necessarily warn people, but but tell them it was going to happen. Um, when you're under that VR headset for 10 minutes or so and your brain has literally left the, the tent and gone to wherever the, the flight was, there's a really strange sensation when you take that VR headset back off and you're immediately back in the tent. It's the strangest sensation because your brain has literally been someplace else and now it's back in a tent in Oshkosh. And it's, it's just as weird to go from inside the headset to the tent as it was from the tent into the VR. It, it really oh, does yeah. work. It, your brain just can't, can't quite figure out what's going on. There's, there's as much of a transition going both ways. Yeah. You, um, you feel like you, you left and then you're com- now you're back. It's, it is wild. So where VR does um, is a huge advantage uh, that I've seen so far is in, um, is in traffic pattern training, which is pretty much what you and I did at Oshkosh. Um, I basically put you above the airport and then in the next, you know, five or six or seven or eight minutes, uh, I, I, we, we flew a traffic pattern and we landed. And in, in, in that situation where there's so much going on as there is in a landing, um, being able to naturally control your, your view to know, you know, where you are relative to the airport, 
um, just by moving your head around like you normally would, is actually a, it's a pilot load kind of thing. Um, in addition to everything else you're having to think about in terms of you know maintaining your your spacing from the pattern and flying a proper airspeed and and those things, um, um, being able to control your view with just natural uh, the way you naturally do it is a, is a just takes a load off of you as a pilot. And so it's it's um, it's very valuable in in pattern training. The other place that I tried it out recently was uh, Condor has a, a feature called ghosting where you can fly a flight in Condor and then record it and then fly that identical flight again where the recording you just made appears to be another glider in your airspace. And so what I was doing the other day, one of the um, ideas I had about where, where uh, the, the VR would be good is in the situation where I'm trying to train somebody how to share a thermal with another pilot. Uh, and so um, what I can do is I can set up a flight situation where um, they can literally be, you know, entering and, and, and trying to fly the thermal across from each other and, and negotiate each other's position, that kind of thing. Um, that's actually pretty effective in, uh, in VR as well because there's you're, when you're flying the glider in a thermal and trying to keep track of another glider, that's a, that's a pretty uh, visually intense, intensive thing to do. And um, uh, VR is also pretty good for that. But so far, uh, most of what I need to train somebody to do um, – in, in the training that I do online uh, wouldn't require, in fact, even the, even those things that pattern training and, and thermaling can be done without a, without a VR headset. Um, but they're certainly, uh, they certainly are improved with a VR headset. Um, I've, I've never been one to have people buy technology for technology's sake. I, I always think it's important that, that the technology actually add to the learning process in a significant way. Because these, all of this technology is expensive, and that becomes a prohibitive one more obstacle in, in somebody getting their license if you're having to buy expensive equipment to do it. So I usually try to get by with the least amount of equipment that I can and still get the job done. If I can go on, the, the, the place where VR is, uh, is also incredible is, is if, you're in the, if you're trying to promote the sport, like you're going to high schools or um, other venues where you're trying to introduce people to what it would be like to fly a glider and why they might want to do this, you you can't beat putting them under a VR headset and saying this is what it's like. This is what you're getting yourself into. Uh, from a from a promotion of the sport standpoint, uh, it is it's unbeatable. Which is why I had it at Oshkosh. The the whole premise of being at Oshkosh is to advance the sport and to get people excited about flying the sport. To some extent, it's even better than putting on a real glider because you can do it in a short period of time for no money. Um, I think while I was at Oshkosh this summer, I, I, I put 60 people through the VR uh, routine that you went through. And there's no way I could have done that, you know, flying a real glider with people. So promotion of the sport is uh, a great way to use the VR. Yeah, and it is. I mean, you know, I've, you know, I've been in the glider. You've been in many gliders. But it truly does feel like you're in the glider i mean i was amazed i just i couldn't believe how real it felt i think it's going to be very useful for students and for people that are already flying and they want to stay current but we were talking earlier and you mentioned i know it's something we we don't all like to talk about as we get older but there comes a time in your life that you're not as quick as you used to be your skills aren't up where they should be and you know it it can start getting dangerous as you get older to be in the air. So you were talking about an idea that you had that people could still keep flying and not feel like they have to say goodbye to something. Right. In fact, um, it, 
Um, I have have lots of good ideas around simulation and have been promoting lots of different ways to use it, you know, not just primary and advanced glider training, but proficiency development and maintenance, um, the promotional aspect that we talked about. Um, But but from a personal perspective, um, I am one of those old guys uh, who at this point in time is still perfectly capable of of flying an aircraft uh, safely. Uh, But over the the years, I've been noticing uh, the edge coming off. And there, there have been other circumstances where um, you know, I'm just not flying as much as I as I should be to to stay sharp, and I I recently made the personal decision to quit while I'm ahead, and and so I've I've literally uh, decided to to not fly again, uh, and I'm okay with that for a couple of reasons. And one of the one of the things that let me do that is this is the VR, which is is so much like the real thing that I don't have to give up all of the pleasure and challenge that I experience with flying aircraft. What I'm giving up is the time that it takes to do it and the money that it takes to do it and the risk that I incur uh, for myself and, and my loved ones by engaging in that sport. Uh, I've, in fact, yeah, given up given up actual flying, uh, at least real flying real aircraft. But anytime I want to, I can have uh, all the fun I want to in simulation. So, yeah, it's a, it's a whole aspect. Um, it actually... Uh, it didn't hit me, but there was. I was at. Um, I've, I've done presentations at all the conventions for the Soaring Society over the last ten or twelve years. In addition to that, I'll set the Condor Simulator up in the exhibit hall so that people who are attending the convention can actually experience the the flight simulation. And I had a guy sit down one day, and uh, he flew the simulation for about fifteen minutes, and of course, you know, mentally disappeared into it for fifteen minutes. And when he when he got up, he said. Has it ever occurred to you that after somebody has done this, that they might not want to actually fly a real glider? At that point in my life, that thought had not occurred to me. And I, and at that point in my life, I couldn't imagine that that would ever happen. I mean, how could you ever really give up the real thing? Well, uh, for me, it's happened. So, uh, and, I, and I think a big part of that is just the, the realism that comes with VR. So I'm uh, grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, because all of us are going to get to that point someday where we have to say goodbye, you know, if we want to be safe. And not be in the air and and how nice is it to be able to fly in the vr and be able to fly and you know they keep adding world we're adding maps i don't know i can't remember what they call them but they keep adding places to fly all the time on condor so you literally can fly all over the world and not only fly all over the world but you can fly with your friends um you were mentioning like have a poker night to where you, you all get together and you f- fly together and it's just really cool how you know, you don't have to say goodbye. You can keep flying. It's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, one of the one of the ideas floating around in my head is to start uh, an adjunct of the Soaring Society of America called the Simulated Soaring Society of America, where none of us actually fly anymore, but we're all we all get together on you know on some kind of basis and do all the things that regular glider pilots do. We just do it in simulation and over the internet and yeah, kind of like poker night where we all get together and go flying and. You know, drink a beer and go to bed. Yeah, yeah, sounds like fun. It does sound like fun. You might get something started here, right? Or a bunch of us get together and do some soaring online. Especially, you know, we've talked about it before a little bit on the podcast, but especially in the winter time, it's great because, you know, I mean, I know you're in South Florida, so you could be soaring right now. But for us that are up north here where it gets pretty cold and we don't want to get the glider out and fly, 
it's it's a great way to fly in the winter time and to stay current. Yeah, in fact, um, I used to. It, it's it's one of the things that I promoted. I've uh, been promoting for years. Is that as a flight instructor, you know, in in the spring, uh, I used to have all these pilots come back after not flying for you know six, seven, eight months. You know, if you, you you had to chip the rust off, you had to get these guys back because their heads their heads had not been in the game for six months, and they and there literally is a you know a reacclimation process where they got to where they got to get their edge back again. My experience had been that because I was flying simulation all winter, my brain never atrophied. Uh, my experience was that I could come back in the spring having not flown a, a real glider for six, seven, eight months, and get in the glider and fly it like I'd never gotten out of it because my brain never had gotten out of it. And uh, flight is easily 80 to 90% a mental activity. It is not, it is not a physical activity. And yeah, the, the, the notion, and, and, and I've, I've had plenty of other people tell me the same thing. You know, they, after flying simulation all winter, it, it's like they never left. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to maintain your, uh, your proficiency. Well, I'm excited to hear about some of the stuff that you come up with, with the VR. And, you know, I don't know, Santa's going to bring me a VR, but it but uh, that'd be nice because <laughs> that's definitely my next purchase. I, I am set up with Condor. I'm set up with the pedals and the stick, you know, so I have everything there. But, yeah, I got to get to that next step. So I can Yeah, there is, the, there is the hitch that um, VR is a pretty is – is an intensively graphic, uh, graphically intensive program. And uh, the laptop that I was running uh, Condor 2 on was perfectly capable of running Condor 2 on a monitor – but it didn't have the graphics capability to do it on the VR. So you'll want to you'll want to check out the specs on your machine. Maybe maybe you've got the high you know a gaming machine already, and if you do, you're probably in good shape. But your your typical uh, desktop laptop computer problem may or may not run a graphics program. Um, the headset that I use, which is an Oculus Rift, uh, you can actually go to the Oculus website. There's they have an app that you can download that will actually uh, run on your machine and tell you whether it's whether it's up up to up to snuff and what it can do and what it can't. That's your only consideration. Yeah, that's, a, that's I wouldn't, a great I wouldn't idea. Want you, I wouldn't want you to run out and buy an Oculus and then find out your, your machine can't run it. So, yeah, it's, they're still a little pricey. So, <laughs> but you know, compared to a, a simulator, like you know, if you go down to here in this area, you know, we have the Smithsonian, and they have some very nice flight simulators. But if you compare it to that, it's, it's actually you know small price to pay for making you feel like you're actually there. Without well, spending yeah, that, thousands of dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, compared to what it costs to actually fly real aircraft, yeah, it's uh, it's a steal. Yep, for sure. Scott, thanks for joining me. It's been great talking to you tonight. Well, thank you, Chuck, for the opportunity to let me talk. I absolutely love the sound of my own voice, and uh, I never I never pass <laughs> I never pass up the opportunity to to talk to folks about uh, what a great thing flight simulation is. Now, I will put a plug in here because uh, the big soaring conventions coming up for the SSA in Little Rock. Are you going to be there? Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't I haven't missed a convention since 2008. Nice. And you'll be there with the VR. I will be there with the VR. In fact, um, another gentleman, flight instructor at the Soaring Club of Houston, a guy by the name of, uh, of Jamie Shore, um, who is also a, a, a VR advocate and, and flight simulation, doing great things at uh, Soaring Club of Houston with flight simulation. Uh, he's going to be there helping me. So uh, we're going to have two VR headsets set up. Yeah, I'll be doing part of the presentation that I do um, every convention. I'll be talking about VR and the uh, advantages of it. So, yeah, it'll be great.
Well, great. So if, if anyone's down there, definitely stop by and check that out. It's it's well worth it. The only downside I'll tell you is once you put it on and check it out, you'll probably want to buy one and have to spend some money. It is. Uh, yeah, it's pretty compelling. You know, in fact, what I might do is I might uh, might kind of work with a food vendor because there's going to be a line standing there waiting to waiting to use this thing. So food vendor would make out great if all those people waiting in line to use the VR. Yeah, absolutely. I will try to uh, come down there and and chat with you and hang out for a little bit. I'm not sure what my schedule is going to be like yet, but I am trying to work towards that. I would love to be there. I haven't been to a soaring convention yet. I've been to Oshkosh a couple of times, but like I've said before, I think the nice thing about the SSA soaring convention is it's all about soaring. That's that's what it's about. So it's very cool. Absolutely. Scott, thanks again. Appreciate you being on the show. Chuck, you're welcome, and thank you uh, for all that you're doing for Soaring by running this podcast. I've, you, you've got a whole list of really interesting stuff out there, and uh, I just became aware of it recently, but I'm gonna, I've already listened to a couple of them, and I'm going to listen to a bunch more. So thank you for your work. Absolutely, and thank you for joining us here on the podcast. I'm always very grateful for all of the awesome guests that are happy to share with us their adventures Soaring the Sky, and very thankful for all of your positive feedback and your emails. And to each and every one of you who continue to listen each week, it's hard for me to believe we soon will celebrate our first year on the podcast of Soaring the Sky, and that is only possible because of you. I'm looking forward to 2020 and excited to bring you some more great guests. So from me and my family to you and yours, I wish you a very safe and happy holiday season, and I'm looking forward to talking with you next week with a brand new year, 2020. And for those of you that don't know, we are on social media. Michelle will tell you all about that right now. On Facebook, it's Soaring the Sky Podcast. On Instagram, it's the same. If you would like to say hi, just drop Chuck a line at chuck at soaringthesky.com. Or you can send us a note on the website. That's soaringthesky.com. Also, if you're a pilot, we want to hear your story. Just send us an email and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next week for another great guest and adventure on Soaring the Sky.